And now, The Mentors Radio, one of the most popular and unique shows on the air today. Here each week, remarkable CEOs and leaders, including hosts Tom Laurie and Dan Hesse, and their guests will mentor you, challenging your thinking about life and work. Sought after for their ethical leadership and advice, and for helping others succeed throughout their careers, now these same CEOs, the mentors, want to help you achieve your highest level of profitability, success, and personal fulfillment in life, at work, and in business. Learn more and check out the show notes at TheMentorsRadio.com. That's TheMentorsRadio.com. And now, here's your mentor. Welcome. I'm Tom Laurie, and I'll be your host today. Thank you for joining. Today, my guest is Peggy Stanton, who says storytelling is deeply embedded in my DNA. Peggy is an author, painter, and journalist who served as the first woman news correspondent for ABC TV in Washington, D.C., She kept journals for decades, especially when traveling the world with her husband, Congressman Bill Stanton, and has shared these recently in her published memoir, From the White House to the White Cross, in which she gave us a glimpse into her storied world, featuring politicians and celebrities, including Lyndon Johnson, Fidel Castro, Julie Andrews, St. Pope John, Paul II, Salvador Dali, and many more. Welcome to the Mentors Radio, Peggy. We have a lot to cover, and I'm want to get started with your pioneering role in journalism. And as you know, I come from a family of um, print media. So right. I, I, let's get started. Tell us a little bit about um, what was it that got you going into journalism? What was your motivation? Well, when I was in uh, college at Marquette University, um, I knew the elements I wanted in a career, but I didn't know what that career was. I knew I wanted writing. I wanted um, current events. I wanted people. I wanted adventure. Uh, and um, but, but as I said, I didn't know what contained all those elements till one night I was watching the evening news and a woman named Nancy Dickerson was working for NBC and she was a correspondent. And as she was covering the story, I looked at it and I said, that's it. That's exactly what I want to do. And from that, I was a junior in uh, college at that time. And from that moment on, Tom, I uh, that was it. That's what I wanted to do. And then you ended up in Washington, D.C. Yeah, you had right. a choice well, of jobs. I- yeah, I, I started with um, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, at a CBS affiliate. Um, with um, and I was the only woman in the newsroom. Uh, someone told me at that time there were about 12 women in the United States doing what I was doing. And there must be 12,000 now. It's amazing how women have really taken over the profession, I think. Don't you? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and I'm curious. So you came into what was a male bastion, right. <laughs> I think, to put it bluntly. So how, what what was it that you had to do? Were there prejudices and biases that you were dealing with? And what did you draw on to get yourself through that and get yourself settled in and doing what you wanted to do? Well, you know, there were, uh, oddly enough, Tom, there were, I found there was more prejudice against a woman doing that uh, 
in in a newsroom where there were some people working there. There were some fellows working there who who frankly weren't going to make it in the world of television news, uh, whether it was appearance or or whatever. And and I think they when they saw a woman doing well and uh, the administration liking what she did, you emerged as a, as a threat. And, um, but when I was surrounded pe- by people like John Chancellor and Dan Rather and Harry Reasoner and so forth, who were, who were obviously making it in the world of television news, I was no threat and they were very uh, welcoming and really uh, acted as sometimes as mentors to me. Was there anyone in particular that was uh, maybe the person most responsible for your success early on? God. (laughs) But uh, definitely God. But uh, I would say, I don't know. I can't point to specifically one person, but I do remember, for instance, uh, Harry Reasoner. Uh, and Bob Pierpoint uh, taking, we were covering the White House. I was covering just for a regional network media, Metro Media. And um, I was offered a very lucrative job in Chicago with, I, I believe it was WGN TV. And it was very tempting to take it. And they took me out to lunch and said, well, now, what do you, you really want to be a network news correspondent? Do you still want to be? And I, yes, I did. I absolutely did. Well, they said, well, don't, don't leave what you're doing. Don't leave Washington. And so I took their advice and thank God I did. And what was it that you were really good at when it came to being a correspondent? Well, I think uh, curiosity is a, is a absolutely ne- an absolute necessity to a correspondent. Uh, a genuine interest in the person you're interviewing, and, and a genuine curiosity, uh, because uh, you you've got to be listening to what the person says. Oftentimes, you can I can remember being told right in the beginning when I joined the newsroom. Um, don't, you know, write out a whole list of questions and then be looking at that and seeing, thinking about your next question because the probably uh, some of the best news will come out of listening very carefully to what the newsmaker says and then saying, why? <laughs> why do you say that? Um, and it's true. Uh, some of the best the news stories I had came out of asking simple question, why? But if you're always thinking about your next question, you miss that opportunity. And listening is such an important part of life. So we're going to come right back with ABC TV's first female correspondent, Peggy Stanton, who traveled the world with her husband, Congressman Bill Stanton telling us about her life and her journey. This is Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentors Radio. 
And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and I am with Peggy Stanton, ABC TV's pioneering first female correspondent and wife of a prominent U.S. senator whose life changed dramatically after a 1988 visit to Medjugorje in Bosnia and Herzegovina. So back to journalism. Um, it's, journalism today is uh, quite different from when it was back in the day. What What do you think of the, the um, what, I, I guess, what, how would you talk about or characterize journalism today versus when you were back uh, doing the work for ABC? Well, I would characterize it as a, a very different. In our day, uh, it was mandatory that you get both sides of the story. Uh, you you always got one, you know, shall we say now we talk about left and right. Well, you'd have to go to the left and you get their viewpoint on a on an issue, and then you'd have to go to the right and get their viewpoint. And if you were lucky, you would get the major proponents of each side of the issue and um, and put them on the air and let them go at it. <laughs> One time I did that, that was before I went to Washington. I did it uh, in, uh, in, in uh, Milwaukee. And I, the the head of the common council and the mayor did not agree at all on a particular issue. And so I got both of their views, went interviewed both of them separately. But then when I got uh, back to the newsroom, I just took out all my questions <laughs> and, and ran the, you know, back and forth, back and forth. It looked as if they were in the same room <laughs> arguing something out together. Uh, and unfortunately, the mayor did not like that. And so <laughs> I was, uh, shall we say, uh, not welcome in the mayor's office for quite a while. <laughs> I did. I really didn't think I was doing something evil. <laughs> I just thought uh, it was more interesting to see them go at it without my questions in the middle. Uh, but um, what we have now, we really don't. Unfortunately, we, we, we have much more activism and agenda-driven uh, television news. We don't have the old journalistic approach that we used to have. And I, I really think that came in with cable because, you know, they had 24 hours to fill. Whereas uh, in in our day, you know, you had one major newscast. It was at uh, an hour if you were lucky. Often it was just a half hour. Uh, but when you have twenty four hours to fill, uh, that that requires a lot of manpower and technical power and economic power. So I think cutting back on economic power for one thing. Uh, they started, uh, reporters started interviewing each other. Now, that could have been an administrative decision, not the reporter's decision. But what I see now is that, is that uh, the newsmaker gets about um, 30, no, not even 30 seconds. I would say barely 10 seconds to say his piece. 
And then you'll be listening to the reporters discuss that for the next 15 minutes. I mean, it's that's not news. That is uh, commentary. This is Tom Laurie. You're listening to the Mentors Radio Show. We're with Peggy Stanton, pioneering ABC News correspondent and author of From the White House to the White Cross. What would you tell your younger self today about going into journalism? That's very, that's a tough question, Tom. Um, I don't know, because there's uh, journalism today is so agenda driven. I don't know that I would really want to go into it, tell you the truth, because um, I, I think maybe I would, I would stay with the written news and and be you know a columnist rather than a, a reporter it's i haven't really thought about it that much but uh, being told that i had to cover a story from a certain angle uh, rather than digging for the truth in what what actually is happening on this particular issue um, I, I couldn't have taken that. Well, there's a prominent uh, journalist that you and I discussed in our prep call, Cheryl Atkinson. And she, faced with that being told, decided to leave. I, th I don't know what her situation was at CNN, but she left CNN, joined CBS, and then she finally left CBS. And she's written a couple of books about it, which are quite interesting. So you're not alone in terms of uh, being forced to follow some agenda rather than what the story is. But let's uh, skip forward. You then, while in Washington, you met uh, this congressman. Uh, tell us about <laughs> Bill Stanton. Yeah. <laughs> well, yes. Um, that didn't figure into my uh, career-driven mind that I was that I was going to meet somebody that I might want to marry. Um, but he he was uh, a truly wonderful man and uh, very accomplished in his own. I mean, even in the business world before he came to Congress. But he, but the amazing thing is that he was a he was a very good Catholic. And um, and while I would not have um, called myself, I would have called myself a cultural Catholic because. I grew up in a very Catholic home and I followed the, the faith uh, largely because I admired my parents and, and they were so devout. Uh, but Bill, Bill was a daily communicant and I went sometimes during the week. But um, when I, on our first date, I got in the car and on the passenger seat was a missile. And I said, I, now maybe I have to explain to today's listeners what a missile is. <laughs> missile was something you, you uh, that had all the, the readings and the um, of the of the mass, and you carried the missile with you when you when you went to mass. And I said, what's this doing here? And he said, well, I go to mass in the morning. And I said, every morning. And he said, yes. And I was astonished because that was not something you expected uh, of a politician. And, um, you know, Washington was a, a very secular place. 
so that was quite a surprise to me. And I, I, and then we had a wonderful time on that first date. And I remember thinking to myself, this man could ruin my career. <laughs> and so I, I really, uh, I almost blew it, Tom. I, uh, I didn't accept any more dates for a long time because, because he was such an attractive and uh, good man. And career was everything to me at that point. And for our listeners, the reason for the missile is that the mass was in Latin. And if you wanted to follow the mass, uh, you needed a missile to follow it in English. So and not everyone knew Latin. So that was one of the reasons as well. It had all the yeah, reasons. Yeah, that's a good point, Tom. I forgot to bring that up. Yes, well, I'm, you're a, I'm an old altar boy. No, <laughs> so was he. <laughs> so so I, I had to learn all that Latin. Um, right. So then uh, you got married, uh, and then uh, Bill went on to the World Bank, didn't he? Yeah, well, he was 18 years in Congress, and uh, then he decided that he wanted to do something else while he was still young enough to do it, and he loved uh, the international world, and so um he went to the World Bank, which, uh, you know, was all over the world. And its chief mission was to um, help uh, underdeveloped countries, you know, come into the developed world. And um, he so that gave him the opportunity to be do a lot of work overseas, but also with a great purpose. And so we did an awful lot of um, traveling. Uh, yeah, we're going to we're going to come back and talk about that. Uh, uh, we're with uh, ABC TV's first female correspondent, Peggy Stanton. Uh, we'll be back in just a second. You can listen to this and other shows by going to our website, thementorsradio.com, and click on list of shows. Subscribe while you're there so you do not miss any future shows. This is Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentors Radio. And now... Back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and I am with Peggy Stanton, ABC TV's pioneering first Washington, D.C.-based female correspondent. So now you're at the World Bank, and you're traveling all over the world. Tell us just briefly some of the people that you met along the way on your travels. Well, of course, the people... Some of the people I met uh, before we were married, uh, for instance, Julie Andrews and Charlton Heston, uh, when I was covered uh, the making of The Sound of Music when I was still a very young correspondent. Um, but you, you know, in the book, uh, I talk about experiences with. Uh, Robert Kennedy and Ethel Kennedy and um, uh, the Fidel Castro, um, Salvador Dali in Paris. Uh, um, the um, I'm trying to think. I have to look, look <laughs> go back into the book. Well, you covered uh, a lot of them, but what when you think about all those people you met before you well, married Linda, Bill? Yeah, yeah. Who who is it that really stood out as something special, as someone special? I mean, they're all well, special, I, but one, let's say somebody said, hey, I'd really like to be that person's friend. Oh, I would say hands down, uh, 
Mother Teresa. I mean, she was just remarkable. Uh, you know, they, <clears throat> I was able to observe her a number of times in Washington, and only one time did I ever actually get to meet her and, and shake hands with her and so forth. Um, but, but she conveyed somehow the presence of Jesus Christ more than anybody. I mean, and I'm, uh, and I admired and met on five different occasions, Pope John Paul II. And certainly he was a very holy man and, and a humble man and wonderful. But there was something about Mother Teresa that uh, I remember was only a few minutes that I was actually speaking, just she and I. And I remember thinking to myself, isn't it odd that I felt the presence of Jesus Christ more coming from a woman than any man I had ever met? Uh, and and I hope that that is not taking away from any man. It's just uh, uh, talking about the the radiance of holiness that that came from that woman. And you know, I was at that famous speech that she gave uh, in Washington that is still quoted today. And if you go to the uh, um, Mother Teresa Museum in uh, Ave Maria, Florida. They still they have that running all the time, just the the video of that speech. But it was it, 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 she spoke before three thousand world leaders. I mean, it was the president of the United States was there, vice president of the United States, uh, football coaches like Don Shula, and and then uh, the Supreme Court and the United States Senate and the in the House of Representatives and world leaders from countries all over the globe and gathered in this one room, I think it was 3,000 people, and she absolutely um, captivated them, whether they agreed or disagreed with her, than more than anybody I have ever witnessed in Washington. And, well, and Correspondents who were there have written, uh, including Peggy Noonan, have written about the remarkable speech. Well, what I find remarkable about her and all the different people I've met in my career, and I'm out here in Silicon Valley, is that there are a lot of people who are striving for fame and fortune. And here is a woman that had nothing. Mm -hmm. She was the most powerful woman in the world at, at the time she was alive. I mean, yeah. she, she was the most powerful person in the world, uh, much less being a woman. But it was incredible. Now, when you when you went to this breakfast, it's my understanding that she asked that the prayer of St. Francis be placed at each uh, place setting. Yes, yes. And then, yes, it was there. And and she said, uh, um, now we will all say that prayer. And she started and she didn't hear voices coming from the audience. And so she stopped just like a, a good teacher saying, can we please all say this together? <laughs> <laughs> and and every next thing you knew, everybody was joining in. <laughs> and in the book, you go, you go into quite some length about this uh, luncheon. The prayer breakfast, I guess, prayer breakfast. Yeah, right. Uh, 
And the questions that she asked are, how can you love God when you can't see him and not love your neighbor who you can see? Who you can see, I know, right. And then she said one of the most memorable statements she made that uh, brought down the house was she said, um, if a mother can kill the baby in her womb, what is it for you and I to kill one another? And that, you know, I think of that today. I mean, we are witnessing uh, violence uh, in banks, in churches, and and sidewalks, um, schoolrooms that we never saw when you when I were growing up, Tom. It, that didn't ha- America was not full of guns, and there were there were. I'm not an advocate of guns, believe me, but uh, there people possessed guns then. Uh, and and people were not shooting one another. But how can how can we, you know, somebody who's mentally disturbed can could make a case? Well, the the administration, our top officials in government, are pushing the idea of killing and killing a very innocent, uh, the most vulnerable and innocent of human beings. Uh, so why can't I go kill somebody that I think has uh, offended me? And we also are seeing evidence, it's growing evidence, of, uh, almost a movement of a war on children in so many different ways. It's yeah. Yeah. violence amongst the adults and teens, and, and then there's a war against children. And one of the things that Mother Teresa mentioned in her talk about love and when you destroy love, you destroy life. And the fact is that love really, and you know this, and I know this, is that love, contrary to what a lot of people believe, uh, love, you have to love until it hurts. That's real love. Uh, love is not something simple. Uh, That's she, right. And she used that term, love love until it hurts. Give until it hurts. She, she would say, give until it hurts. Um, she... Um, she was just remarkable in that she was able to, one of the few people in the world who really could speak to both sides and, and not alienate, even though when she said some things in that speech that were alienating to those on the left, and she was so... Um, so forceful on the issue of abortion. And there she had President Clinton and Hillary Clinton sitting right next to her. But one of the remarkable things that came out of that was that she went to Hillary after that. I don't know whether it was before or after um, the, the breakfast, but she said she wanted to build a home in Northwest Washington for um, women in crisis, women pregnant, you know, without uh, benefit of husband. And um, she said she wanted Hillary to help her. <laughs> and um, I guess Hillary said so, uh, she would think about it. Well, she ended up helping her. And, and when two years later, I think it was two years later when the home was completed, there was a remarkable picture in the Washington Post. Hillary is standing at the podium 
And whatever she was saying had to be amusing because everybody's laughing. And sitting right next to her in the audience is Mother Teresa and her nuns, and they are all laughing. I mean, it, it was it was a wonderful picture to see. We're going to have to take a break, but I had never heard that story. That's a great story. So we're going to be back uh, with Peggy Stanton, who's traveled the world and was ABC TV's first Washington-based correspondent. You'll find all of our show notes and links to books mentioned on the show at TheMentorsRadio.com. That's TheMentorsRadio.com. This is Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentors Radio. And now... Back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and I am with Peggy Stanton, ABC TV's first woman, Washington, D.C.-based correspondent and wife of a prominent U.S. senator whose life changed dramatically after a 1988 visit to Medjugorje in Bosnia and Herzegovina. So we've talked a little, one more thing I want to touch on with Mother Teresa because of uh, not my not being a youngster anymore. She made, and it's something near and dear to my heart, is this um, poverty that she saw. And she mentioned the poverty in Calcutta, but she also talked about the poverty in America. Right. Elderly. Right. She, she right. made a comment that they have good food, they're, comfort, they're in comfortable places, but none of them are smiling. They're looking at the door. These are yeah. forgotten people. Maybe you could touch on that a minute. Yeah, she said uh, it was so uh, surprising to her. She said she really the deepest poverty she was referring to was loneliness and being abandoned. Uh, she said, you know, she she went to a, a very nice nursing home uh, where the the accommodations were lovely and uh, they had every good food and everything they wanted, but nobody was smiling and everybody was looking at the door. And she asked somebody on the staff, well, why, why are they all looking at the door? And she said, they, and the answer was, well, they're hoping that someone will come to see them, but mm. nobody does. And how sad. Hmm? Well, I did a show on loneliness and 40% of all Americans live alone. And half of those people have what they call chronic loneliness. Uh, so it's a, ser it's a serious problem. That's why I wanted to bring it up. Now let's switch gears a little bit. And you had a friend who had gone to, you, you were working with, who had gone to a town in, in Bosnia-Herzegovina called Medjugorje. Tell us a little bit about your journey to Medjugorje. Well, um, the, the friend was um, the wife of former Senator Jim Buckley, and who was at the time she went to Medjugorje, um, it was, was uh, head of Radio Free Europe. And uh, her name was Ann Buckley, and very attractive, very um, charismatic personality, uh, not, not uh, you know, um, pietistic or anything, she, but she had gone to Medjugorje and she called me because Senator Buckley had been a chapter in a book I wrote years ago called The Daniel Dilemma about the moral man in the public arena. So we got to know each other well when I was w working on the chapter on her husband. And she called me and she said, um, 
Peggy, uh, I want you to come over. I want to tell you about uh, a, a place I visited uh, while in Europe, and it's just remarkable. So she she told me all about going to Medjugorje, and I had heard nothing about it. Uh, about it, and of course, growing up, I had heard so much about uh, Fatima, and uh, you know the miracle of the sun and and so forth would kind of uh, pun intended dazzled us, you know, hearing those stories. And so it was kind of, it was fascinating that could this be going on in our own day and age? Um, and I, so I said, Anne, do you really think she is appearing? And, and she said, I do. And I said, why? Because, because in Medjugorje, uh, as you know, Tom, the sun does spin as it did in Fatima, like that remarkable miracle that um, astounded everyone in 1917, or maybe it was 1918, because by the time that, that the miracle was, I think, the Blessed Mother's last appearance, and her first appearances were in uh, 1917. But anyway, um, and she said, um, not because of, you know, the miracles people were seeing, uh, uh, the cross on Mount Crescivet lighting up and the sun spinning and so forth and so on. She said, no, she said, because of the people. She said they were living such holy lives that it was um, very evident to her that something remarkable was influencing them. And um, so she gave me a couple of books on the subject, uh, but, um, you know, I, I, the, the stories were great, uh, um, but I wasn't interested in going. Uh, and I, those two books sat on my newsstand for, or my nightstand for two years. And um, then my daughter, Oh no, what happened now I remember what happened was that uh, I was giving a speech in Washington and um, during the Q&A, a woman, for, I don't know why she brought it up, but she said she had been to uh, Medjugorje and that she had a photograph of the Blessed Mother. <laughs> that finally got my attention being a journalist, you know. A photograph of the Blessed Mother, I thought that was unheard of. And um, so uh, that finally got my attention. And so I started telling these stories to my daughter because I thought, um, you know, this would bolster her faith. I only intended them to be stories. And um, I didn't intend to, for her to say, Let's go, Mom. <laughs> I said, go, go to a communist country. And I think um, I think I should stop right here and then I'll tell this uh, in the next segment. How's that? Yeah, that's right. So we're going to be right back with ABC TV's first woman, Washington-based correspondent, Peggy Stanton. This is Tom Lohr, and this is The Mentors Radio. And now, 
Back to the Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie. I am with Peggy Stanton, journalist, painter, and a very good person. So, Peggy, let's finish up with Medjugorje. So you go to Medjugorje, you get your daughter to go there. And well, no, she gets me to go there. Oh, she gets you to go there. Okay, well, that's yeah. even more interesting. Well, she's, uh, as I was saying in the last segment, uh, she, when I told her the stories of miracles uh, happening in uh, Medjugorje, and of course, because she was only 20 years old, I'm stressing stories about the sun spinning and cross lighting up and so forth. That's the kind of thing that would attract uh, interest to 20 year old. <clears throat> so, and I, with no intent whatsoever of going there, simply to bolster her faith, get her, her interested in uh, a faith experience, but not to experience it ourselves. Uh, so, but she said to me, well, mom, why don't we go? And I said, go, go to a communist country. I want to go to a communist. Why would I want to go to a communist country? Well, she said, mom, we go everyplace else. Why would you not want to go see this experience? Uh, and she and my husband said, you know, she wants to have a religious experience, you, you know, how can you turn her down? And I said, well, the church hasn't approved this yet. Um, but one uh, priest told me, he said, you know, we're, uh, and so did the uh, apostolic delegate say, that, you know, the church is looking at this very seriously. Um, and uh, so uh, I thought, well, you know, and Kelly said, I have, uh, I can go between July 31st and August 7th. And then she had to be back at college. And I thought, well, the, how am I ever going to find a place that goes to this strange place, which is, a, you know, halfway around the world. Um, so I called a, a travel agency that I, I heard about one that was out of Cleveland. And they said, oh, no, 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 we're, we're we're very busy. Uh, we, we all our pilgrimages are booked, yeah, far ahead, and they're all booked to Medjugorje. So I called Kelly and said, um, "Sorry, honey, I tried. I was so relieved that there were no pilgrimages." And then I'm walking out of a, a, a church uh, in Washington D.C., Holy Trinity Church, and I hear somebody talking about going to Medjugorje. And I'm feeling a little guilty. So I thought, well, I better investigate this. I said, how are you getting there? Well, she said there's an agency in Bethesda, Maryland, um, that sends people there. And uh, so I thought, um, well, at least I should give a call. So I called them up and, and asked them if there were um, the people that I'd heard, been talking to were going on August 15th. And I said, even though that was beyond Kelly's deadline, I thought, well, I'll just inquire. And they said, oh, no, well, we're very booked on that trip. So I said, um, well, you know, if you get a cancellation, I gave them my phone number, call me. About two hours later, the phone rings and a woman named Nancy, I think, is on the phone. She said, you know, you didn't ask me about 
this pilgrimage, but she said, uh, I, I wonder if you're interested. I forgot a very important point. I had said in a prayer, Lord, I don't want to go if you're not there, but if you are there, give me a sign and I'll take it as a sign if there's a trip available July 31st between July 31st and August 7th. And this woman said to me, you didn't ask about uh, pilgrimage where we have two seats and it goes July 31st to August 7th. And I said, how could you? So, this is only two weeks away. She said, we just discovered two seats we didn't know we had. So the, so the prayer, we're going to run out of time. So the prayer was answered. Yeah. And the, the real question is, how did this impact you and how did this impact Kelly? And you got 30 seconds. Well, it impacted me. I thought I was going to chaperone Kelly's conversion and guess who <laughs> I had. I can't possibly tell the story. It's in the book from the White House to the White Cross. Uh, and it's it's a very involved, but it was a very dramatic, probably one of the most dramatic things that's ever happened to me, happened in that little village. And um, it was the experience. It's, it's one thing to believe in God. It's another thing to experience him. And over there in that little mountain town, I experienced him in a big way. And that changed my life. And you've got a new book out, The Order of Malta, which we'll post as well. You're, you're doing a radio broadcast. It's called The Order of Malta, Minutes with the Catechism. Right. I'm sorry. I, it's a longer title, <laughs> like so many today. But I, listen, we're, we're running out of time. I really want to thank you for sharing your journey with us and with my audience. So that's it. Until next week, our guest today has been pioneering news correspondent Peggy Stanton. You can find a link from the White House to the White Cross in our show notes at thementorsradio.com. Thank you very much, Peggy, again, for joining thank us. Thank you, Tom. You're for welcome. Inviting. Remember, if you tuned in late, you can listen to us and past shows on your favorite podcast platform or on our website, thementorsradio.com. When you are there, make it easy for yourself and subscribe to future shows. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next weekend at the same time for the next edition of The Mentors. Until then, this is Tom Laurie signing off for today. Remember to be all you can be and keep the candle lit for all who struggle in the darkness. It's been The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. To get more information about the program or a sponsor, to download a podcast of today's show, or to leave a question for our host, go to TheMentorsRadio.com. That's www.TheMentorsRadio.com. The preceding program, copyright CBJ, LLC. All rights reserved.